You are listening to The Riding, NFL DFS podcast with Pat James. Welcome, everybody, to The Ride In DFS and Betting Podcast. We are going to talk about cash games today. I'm going to give you some tips to improve your ROI and be a better cash game player in 2021. Now, these are things that we've talked about over the course of several years that I've written about on 4 for 4. Um, but every now and again, you need a refresher, especially at the beginning of the season when you haven't really played DFS, uh, at least NFL DFS, for a few months. So the first one is always going to be game selection. So I think the most important thing is not even necessarily who you're rostering in cash games, but the games that you are choosing to play. The first thing is single entry double ups. I've done the, I've run the numbers for the last, I don't know, four or five years uh, using different CSVs. It is far and away more profitable to be playing single entry double ups than multi entry double ups. Now, what will happen is in the lobby, you'll see two, five, 10, 25, 50, $100 games. Usually, when you get up to 150, there aren't very many multi entry uh, or at least like multi entry contest contests with a ton of entries. But you will see a single entry contest and you will see a multi entry contest. And a lot of these two, five, ten, twenty-five dollar contests will either allow you to put one lineup in, or 150 lineups in, or 100 in. They have a formula that tells them exactly what the entry limit should be, depending on the total number of entries. The vast majority of the time, these single entry contests have lower cash lines. There are weeks that are anomalies where the single entry is a little bit higher than uh, the multi-entry. That's usually when the chalk doesn't hit, right? When the chalk smashes, the multi-entry contests usually uh, have very, very high cash lines. And I'll explain to you why that is in a second. But over the course of the last few years, single entry double ups are the way to go. They have a lower cash line most weeks of the season, right? So, and the reason for that is simple. Every single person has one lineup. You're getting a truer cash line. You're getting a truer representation of of the actual field uh, of people that are playing on DraftKings. Whereas multi-entry, you know, even if there's 10,000 entries into a contest, but they're allowing people to put... 100 entries into the contest, well, what you're going to have is uh, nine times out of 10, the people that are putting in 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 lineups into these multi-entry double-ups are sharp players. They're guys that have a huge bankroll, that have have experience, and that are good at NFL DFS. And I'm not saying that you aren't, and I'm not saying that I'm not. However, to maximize my advantage, I want my lineups going against a single entry of everybody in the contest. 
And that's only because it's a double up, though. Right. If if 55 percent of the field or 45 percent of the field is winning the same amount of money, you know, first place doesn't matter all the way down to 450th place or whoever the last place that gets paid out. If those numbers aren't different, then I want single entries all the way through. If, however, and this would never happen, but, you know, in a contest like the Millionaire Maker or a contest like the Slant, which is the $9.150, if I knew guys were throwing trains in, quote-unquote trains, 150 of the same lineup in those contests, I would want to be in those contests, right? Because the payout at the top is higher, and that would mean that you have to beat less lineups if there's gobs and gobs of the same lineup. Um, but getting off on a tangent there, double-ups, cash games, where it's the same payout from first to the last cashing spot, I want I want to go against one lineup from every person. And traditionally, the cash lines have been lower in general. So that is what I am aiming for. Now, oftentimes, you can't get enough action in the single entry contests. Like, over the course of the week, DraftKings will have, they might put up three or four or $5 single entries, um, three or four ten dollar single entries, a couple twenty five dollar single entries, and that may be good for, you know, depending on your bankroll, that may be plenty. Um, whatever that is, hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred dollars, in double ups, um, single entry double ups. What I will say is that the multi entry two dollar, I think you can put up to twenty lineups, so it ends up being a forty dollar contest. The multi-entry $2 had very similar cash lines to the single entries. Now, I don't know what that what the reason for that is. You could, uh, you know, assume that it's because sharks aren't even allowed to play in $2 contests. So that could potentially be a reason that the $2 game is a little bit less sharp or they don't even bother with playing in a $2 game. In the grand scheme of things, it's like a tenth of a percent of their bankroll. Whatever the reason is, uh, the $2 multi-entry, which is a 20 max, which will allow you to put an extra $40 per contest into your cash game allotment. You know, sometimes multiple of those are created. So you could get, you could see, uh, you know, two or three of the the multi-entry $2 double ups. You can get an extra maybe 120 in on those. So single entry uh, if you need a little bit more, multi-entry $2. If you need more than that, then you're, you are going to have to play in either, you know, a high stakes double up. You know, once you get up to like the 250s and stuff, those are single entry for the most part. Um, and also, uh, and obviously head-to-heads. Here has been my head-to-head strategy over the last few years, and it has been pretty successful. In fact, last year was the first time I had a higher ROI in head-to-heads than I did in double-ups. I, you know, I, I tried to go back and look through and see what the reason for that may have been, and I think I know. Uh, I'm not going to divulge much because it is definitely conjecture on my part. Um, yeah, so last year I had a higher head-to-head ROI than I did in double-ups for the first time in like six years. Usually I uh, my double up ROI is is a little bit better. It has been for the last six years or so since the um, 
the trackers have been been keeping track or I, I've been able to load my CSVs into um, the different bankroll and contest trackers. It's always been double ups, just a little bit better than head to heads that flopped last year. So my head to head strategy has always been to post contests late, like very late Saturday night or early Sunday morning, and then cancel the ones that didn't fill based on not wanting to be auto-matched with any sharks. And also, uh, throughout the week, I will scoop the head-to-heads of you know players that I don't really know, uh, if that makes sense. You know, at this point, everybody has a friggin' experience badge on DraftKings. They should probably, you know, rework the uh, the parameters for giving people experience badges. There, are, you know, you are hard pressed to find anybody in the lobby that doesn't have that the highest rated um, experience badge. So, I mean, you can't go by that. But I will try. You know, I I know the players who are sharks. I know the guys who do it for a living, that that have very good projections. I just avoid those guys. I, I don't like have a super selective process of, you know, they have to have either no badge or just like the one stripe badge or whatever. You wouldn't be able to get enough action if that was the case. Uh, but the guys that I do scoop are usually just players that I don't recognize as being pros or super sharp players in the lobby. Number two is take the free square um, we see less and less of these as the years go on, like DraftKings algorithm has been really good at pricing up um, different guys each week. Sometimes they, they misstep, though. Um, we've seen, and I'll give you some instances of it. I'll give you the first instance where I actually learned my lesson to always take the free square. And this was back in 2014. I was playing on Draft Street at the time. 2014, 15, I don't know. You could even look the game up. Niall Davis was playing, it was the very end of the regular season, week 15, 16, 17, something like that. Niall Davis was getting the start for the Chiefs. He was minimum salary. I didn't think he was going to have a good game. Um, But, you know, in hindsight, he was a free square. He was going to get almost every carry. He was going to get almost every target out of the backfield. And he was the minimum salary. You know, the odds that he 3X'd, 4X'd, his min salary thrust into a starting role was was massive. And it was dumb for me to do that. That's when I learned my lesson seven years ago. I've never made the mistake since. Now, here's the thing. Free squares, like I just said, are have become far and few between just because DraftKings has set a higher minimum on a lot of players. Um, oftentimes, even like Alexander, I'll give you an example. Like Alexander Madison is Dalvin Cook's backup. Every week he's priced at like 5,800, 55, 5,800, despite the fact that he doesn't really ever meet expectation salary wise when Dalvin Cook is healthy. But if something were to happen to Dalvin Cook on, let's say, Monday night or a Thursday in, in walkthroughs, he tweaks his ankle, whatever it may be, Alexander Madison is no longer sitting in the player pool at 3,800. You know, it just doesn't happen. So we don't get this like 70% owned free square as often as we have in the past, but they do occur and you do need to take advantage of them. So for instance, 
Um, Kyle Allen a few years ago was going to be the absolute minimum 4K uh, in a road game against the Cardinals. He played for the Panthers at the time with Christian McCaffrey. I, uh, you know, was adamant that he was the right play. He's a free square. I mean, you're getting a quarterback that is playing every snap. He has a little bit of mobility. Um, the offense was decent. He had Christian McCaffrey to check down to at the time. The Cardinals defense was not good that given year. Uh, so you put him in and he absolutely smashed. So did McCaffrey. It was a smash week. Those are the type of free squares. Uh, for instance, this coming week one, the free square is going to be Marquez Callaway. He is priced as if Michael Thomas is the wide receiver one. And frankly, as if Taysom Hill is the quarterback. But now we know, as of this recording, that Marquez Callaway is the wide receiver one. He's absolutely smashed in camp in the preseason. Jameis Winston, who can throw the ball downfield, is going to be his quarterback in week one for at least most of the snaps, right? He's the starter. He locks onto him. We know that. He had two touchdown passes to him in week two of the preseason. So 3,400 for a number one receiver that we feel is going to get, you know, seven, eight targets in this game, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage if you don't take that free square. And here's why. So, I mean, let's just say Marquez Callaway is going to be 70% owned, um, which is a fair guess, I think, at that salary as the number one receiver with all this buzz. Let's say he's going to be 70% owned. If he hits... Let's say he has a good game. He goes like six for 100 and a touchdown, right? That's like 25 DraftKings points. If 70% of the double ups that you're playing in have a 3K guy go for 26 DraftKings points and you don't, it's a wrap. You might as well X out of the live scoring and start punting off showdown lineups for, for Sunday night. Not only do your opponents have a 3K receiver that probably outscored your punt option or by you know 20 points but now they have so much more to work with salary wise in the rest of their roster as well that's why these free punt squares who don't come around often you have to take advantage of them what happens if marquez callaway only goes four for 40 well nothing really because 70 percent of the people in the contests are in the same situation that you are. They have an 8.3K receiver. No big deal. You're playing basically uh, eight roster spots in your double up now that uh, everybody had Callaway. Are the 30, you know, the 20, 30% of players that didn't roster Callaway at an advantage? A slight one because he was 3,400. You know, the more the salary climbs, then things could could get um, a little bit more advantageous for those that faded him. But the reward is so much greater than the risk. Because what is probably going to happen is that 3K wide receiver or that 4K running back, presuming they are in an absolute smash spot, their odds of smashing value are just extremely, extremely high. Now, we have to be careful about who we consider a free square, right? So, like, let's think about um, Tyreek Hill is out for the week. Okay, Tyreek Hill is down for the week. There really isn't a free square that comes of that. Um, because you have Travis Kelsey still, 
Miko Hardman, Byron Pringle, the backs out of the backfield. There isn't one guy that we can absolutely say benefits. Sure, it you may land on Miko Hardman or Byron Pringle or pay up for Kelsey because Hill is there, but he's not a guy that you lock in and like have no no reservations about. Um the guys that are free squares are quarterbacks that are priced down that all of a sudden, like if we see, for instance, um, in week two, if if Matt Nagy comes out and says Justin Fields is our starter for week two and Fields is still priced as like uh, as a QB two 5K or something like that, that's that's a lock button. Um, running backs where there is coach speak that uh, so-and-so is going to start and get a lot of the carries, like when Alvin Kamara was hurt last year, Latavius Murray smashed. We knew that was going to be the case. Um, receivers don't often qualify as free squares like Marquez Callaway. Marquez Callaway is a unique situation. He's the absolute minimum and he's now the number one receiver. DraftKings didn't know that was going to be the case. The salaries came out before camp even started, pretty much. Um, that won't happen week to week. And to be honest, you know, when a receiver gets hurt or a tight end gets hurt, you often can't just pencil their replacement in for the exact target share or for uh, the exact usage that they get. We can do that for quarterbacks. We can usually do that for running backs. Um, pass catchers, it's iffy, right? You know, if if Travis Kelsey gets hurt, we can't say that Noah Gray is going to get 10 targets. We just can't be sure of that. If Dalvin Cook gets hurt, we can be pretty sure that Alexander Madison is going to get most of the work. If Christian McCaffrey gets hurt, we can get we can be pretty sure that Hubbard's going to get most of the work, right? So it depends week to week, but it definitely is smart to take the free square when deemed a free square is on the board. The next thing is roster construction. This is, And my third tip will be the type of receivers that I want in my roster construction. Um, what you're going to hear a lot of this year is that paying up for quarterbacks was the smart thing last year. And, you know, most weeks it did work out if you paid up for Josh Allen, obviously, or you paid up for um, Patrick Mahomes. I think what we should say is it absolutely depends on the value available week to week. I'll never go into a week saying I need to pay up at a certain position or I need to pay down at a certain position. It is absolutely going to depend on the value presented that week. The one thing I will say is I always try to get at least one stud running back, a Christian McCaffrey, an Alvin Kamara, uh, a Dalvin Cook, in my lineup. Their opportunities are the safest. um, Their targets are the safest. And their production is the most predictable. To say that I'm always going to pay up at quarterback or I don't want a stud receiver ever um, or I'll never pay up at, at tight end is disingenuous because it depends on the week. Here's the things that I lean towards when creating a cash game lineup. Quarterbacks, I do want some mobility, um, ideally. Now, whether that's Ryan Fitzpatrick, who can and always does, you know, scramble a little bit for 20, 30 yards or it's Kyler Murray, 
or Lamar Jackson, who I'm hoping, you know, hit 70, 80 yards. That's one thing. But I do like some mobility. I don't want in my cash game a statue quarterback like Big Ben or Tom Brady. Guys that aren't, that if things go awry in the passing game, like they're going to get you like seven or eight fantasy points, right? If Ben goes for 200 yards, a touchdown, and three picks, he's leaving you, you know, in the single digits. Conversely, rushing quarterbacks have such a high ceiling, right? Like Kyler Murray, even if he doesn't throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns, he could run for 80 and one. Um, same thing with a lot of guys. Um, you know, you could be on the on the lower end of the salary spectrum, like a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's probably $5,500. He's not going to light it up um, and throw for 400, tu- uh, 400 yards and, and three touchdowns. But, I mean, he's, he has before, but... Um, probably not going to happen. However, he does have that 20, 30, 40 yard rushing touchdown, uh, rushing touchdown upside at a cheap price. Or there's guys like Josh Allen, like Dak, who, you know, have 300 and 100, uh, bonus passing yards, rushing yard bonus in them on a given week. So to put a bow on quarterback, I want guys that are mobile and I want guys that are in high scoring games because the way quarterbacks score fantasy points are rushing touchdowns, passing touchdowns, and rushing yards, right? I'm, I'm not, I don't necessarily want to count on 300 yards and the bonus. I'm not going to count on 300 yard passing and the bonus from quarterbacks every week. I want the uh, safety of rushing yards, the potential for rushing touchdowns, and the potential for passing touchdowns. At the running back position, I want guys that are going to catch passes out of the backfield, right? Uh, 9K for Derrick Henry, I don't love it. Um, Sometimes I'll do it if there isn't a ton of options on the slate, if I think he's going to have like a 202 game uh, very seldomly. However, guys like Christian McCaffrey, guys like, you know, Dalvin Cook isn't a volume pass catcher but they set him up so well in the screen game that he'll often have just three or four targets but it'll be for like 60 yards because they do they they scheme him open so well in the screen game that he does a lot with those so guys that are productive in the passing game um the amount of stud running backs that i have in my lineup definitely depends on the value at the other positions um, there'll be weeks where I do have like McCaffrey and Aaron Jones. If there's some value at the receiver or tight end position or even the quarterback position, I'll try to get multiple studs in there like that. Um, but ideally, I just want my three running backs. I'll always lean to play three running backs in cash, and I want them to have goal line upside and pass catching upside. A lot of times you have to sacrifice a little bit because they are very expensive and it's hard to find three that fit into your salary build. Um, But absolutely trying to get touchdown equity and reception equity out of my running backs. Receivers is where I'll kind of land in the middle um, salary wise. Like I, I don't often have I won't often play a guy like Tyreek Hill in cash. Um, it's been to my detriment on a few weeks, right, where people do play him in cash. He is a popular cash play, like 20%, 25%, something like that, and he goes off. 
for 10 for 102 or something like that, then, I mean, you get whacked those weeks. You really do. Um, but I will normally go, you know, studs to mid-tier at running back in three spots, the two running back spots and the flex. And then I will look to get high volume, usually low A. It's usually like the low A dot guys that are lurking in that mid-tier. Like, um, I'll try to think of some examples for you, like a Tyler Boyd um, or a Deontay Johnson, guys that are getting uh, volume, uh, but their stat line usually looks like 7 for 70 and 1 at the end, not 7 for 180 and 2. They don't necessarily have that below the top off the defense type stuff, but they are seeing a ton of catchable passes. Those are the types of wide receivers I will normally look for, normally target. There will be weeks that are anomalies. If there aren't a ton of stud running backs on the slate or there are stud running backs on the slate that I'm not in love with their matchup or how they've been used recently, I will then look to potentially play like someone like Devontae Adams or Tyree Kill. Um, One thing is Devontae Adams was really an exception when he was on the field last year. He was a high-ceiling, high-volume stud. And, you know, I often did play Devontae in cash. And like I said, it's very fluid week to week. You're trying to build the most opportunities per dollar in your lineup. Um, Oftentimes it leads, for me, oftentimes it has led to more expensive running backs, more mid-tier type receivers. Um, Tight end is, is interesting as well. I think you either go... You take the barbell approach with tight end. You either go, you know, if there isn't a ton to love at receiver that week in the mid-tier slash, like, wide receiver two, like, 6-7K range, you can roster a Darren Waller or a Travis Kelsey as your wide receiver one, so to speak. Uh, but mostly I will try to find the cheapest tight end that can go 5 for 50 that week. Um, sometimes that's, you know... Dallas Goddard or Evan Engram or, you know, if Kyle Rudolph's hurt, Irv Smith was in cash lineups a little bit last year. And then what I will do at defense is see if there is some type of massive advantage defensive line versus offensive line. Uh, Oftentimes those are the most expensive defenses though, and I'll have to kind of shy away. But I want I want a defense that's going to face a lot of pass attempts, right? That's kind of been, we've kind of figured that out over the last few years, that facing a quarterback that is going to drop back a ton is better than facing a team that's going to play conservative, hand the ball off, throw short passes, not really get, put themselves in much trouble. Um, We want, even if it means that your defense gives up 25 points, we want the sacks, picks, and chances to, you know, get a defensive score. And the last point that I will say is to be very careful of correlation in your lineups. I'm not saying that you absolutely can't correlate certain things, um, but a general rule is the more salary the correlated pieces take up in your roster, the more risk you are taking on. So for example... You know, in week one, if you want to use, and I keep using Ryan Fitzpatrick as an example, but if you want to use Ryan Fitzpatrick and Logan Thomas as your tight end, I think they combined 
add up to like $9,800 or, or something like that. That's not too crazy, right? Or um, Jameis Winston and Marquez Callaway, they're probably going to add up to about 8.5K or something off the top of my head. I don't really know the salaries, but I know those two combinations aren't going to take up a ton of cap. That's a little bit easier to stomach, especially if you like their situation. You both you think that both of those players are going to hit expectation. That's okay. Where you run into an issue is if you have Mahomes and Tyree Kill or Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. You know, when you're taking up in some of those cases, over a third of your salary in a correlation, that is taking on too much risk for a cash game. If it turns out to be an Aaron Jones game, he scores two on the ground, and Aaron Rodgers' one touchdown pass goes to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and you you end up with 14 points from Rodgers and 12 points from Adams, you know, that's just, you're absolutely crushed that week to have 15 or 16K of salary tied up together and then them not to pan out. It just crushes your lineup. So to put a bow on that one, you know, don't shy away from correlation if you like two players that don't tie up a ton of salary. I'll normally shy away from correlation when, you know, if those two players have below average games, they sink your lineup completely. Right, so like if you roster Winston and Marquez Callaway in week one and they go for, you know, a combined 24 fantasy points, not great, but you don't have a ton of salary tied up. You have other studs that can make up for it. If that same thing happens with Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams or Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, you were counting on those two to make up or to score a pretty significant portion of your fantasy points in your cash game that week. I even think there's a little bit of an advantage to it, especially in head-to-heads. You know, if Fitzpatrick and Logan Thomas hook up for two touchdowns in a certain week, you get that added upside at little cost. And I always like to have a little bit of upside baked into my cash game lineup, especially if it's the one I'm playing in head-to-heads, because you always want to have a little bit of a ceiling so you can capture one of those 85%, 95% winning weeks in head-to-head. That will wrap up this cash game strategy talk. Probably have a few more strategy episodes go up before the season begins. Until then, be kind to one another.